0: If you have your Bibles, you can turn. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 10 to 12. But I want to start us from chapter 4 so we can get the flow and review a little bit of where we've been. So friends, listen. This is the word of Jesus. Jesus, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 19, and he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Verse 25, and great crowds followed him. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And then our verses for this morning. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of Christ. What we're going to see today is that persecution shows what's really real. Okay, Persecution shows what's really real. Persecution is something that causes many Christians to fear a great deal. Jesus is going to speak to you today. Um, persecution is something that causes some non-Christians to not want to follow Jesus. They see the way Christians are treated and they think, you know what, I don't want to be part of that. And so for those of you who are here and aren't Christians, you're going to see how Jesus speaks to this issue of persecution as you explore Jesus and you look at the claims of Christianity. Christianity. In this passage, Jesus is training his disciples. That's what he's doing. He's mentoring, he's mentoring his disciples. He's teaching them. Um, he came to save the world. Uh, if you remember the in the context of this whole gospel, Jesus came to bring a new beginning. He came to, to help people to start over with a clean slate. He came to bridge heaven and earth. We've seen that in Matthew. And part of this coming to save the world, is his training or discipling the 12 who would become the apostles. And he did that, he's mentoring them so that they can carry his message to all the world. And it's working. Because here we are, 12,000, you couldn't get any farther on the earth from where Jesus was to where we are here, and we are gathered because Jesus spent his life mentoring people. And we get to see what he taught them. Jesus has explained to them that, you know, blessed are the honest, right? The folks who are honest with themselves and honest with God. Blessed are the hungry, people that are, are willing to, to, to hunger for God and for God's ways. And then last week we saw blessed are the blessers, the people who bless others. And last week culminated in the seventh beatitude. I don't know if you've been, been counting them. But we hit the seventh one, and that was blessed are the peacemakers. This is God's mission for his church. This is God's mission for the people. It's to fill God's world with God's shalom, with that fourfold, fully-orbed peace that God wants to fill the world with. And it's interesting because the first seven Beatitudes, they're kind of like the seven days of creation. Anytime you start counting things, and if the seventh in a list seems pretty significant, and this certainly is, you want to stop and ask yourself, wait a second, is there a creation theme going on here? And I think there is. Um, in, way in the beginning of the Bible, in seven days, God created the heavens and the earth. Right, This wonderful, glorious, beautiful place that we live. Well, in the first seven Beatitudes, God is recreating the earth. He's restoring the earth. Jesus came to bring a new beginning. Remember, to bring an end of exile for his people, an end of slavery to sin. And these first seven beatitudes show how that restoration process happens, how the renewal is going to happen. It shows us how God is going to use us to renew the city of San Diego. Okay? But there's one more beatitude. There's one more. It's verse 10. It's the eighth and final. And so in in biblical imagery, the eighth after seven is the beginning of the new week. Okay? You got seven days, and then the eighth day is the start of the new week. And so what we see in this, what we see here is that the eighth beatitude is what will characterize the rest of your life. If you follow Jesus, or if you've been with us and been following the Beatitudes, it's how to lead, your, lead you into a relationship with God, or how to go deeper with God. And once you begin a relationship with Jesus, then the eighth day starts. <clears throat> and a new life begins. And this Beatitude helps us understand what the rest of a life with Jesus looks like. And in this Beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. For righteousness sake, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And Jesus applies it directly to his disciples. Because verse 10 is the statement in general. But Jesus drives it home in verse 11. It's not just blessed are those who are persecuted out there. Jesus says in verse 11, Blessed are you. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And so this is not just theory. This isn't Jesus just spouting ideas. Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's to come. And Matthew is preparing us for what's to come. A life that follows Jesus always brings two different responses. People will either follow you and and what you believe and they'll believe in Jesus or they will persecute you. Okay, those are the two responses and we're going to talk about that today. And we've seen persecution already. Remember again, just just in terms of introduction, um, Herod when Jesus was born, Herod persecuted Jesus and tried to kill all the children who were Jesus' age to try to get rid of this rival king. John the Baptist in chapter 3, when the religious leaders came to the baptism, remember the opposition that they are, we see that, and John the Baptist rebukes them, the religious leaders, because they stood opposed to John the Baptist and what he was preaching. And so, if someone responds to your Christianity by following Jesus, they are blessed. If someone responds to your Christianity by persecuting you, Jesus says, you are blessed. How can he say that? How can he say that persecution is a blessing? That's what we're going to look at today. And I've learned that the best way to discuss persecution is to listen to the people who have been persecuted. I think that's wise. Because it's really easy for people who haven't gone through it To spout off all kinds of ideas or all kinds of platitudes, much better to hear from the people who have actually been through it or who are going through it. And so that's what we're going to see today. We're going to see three statements made by people who were suffering incredible persecution. Okay? So here's the first thing, if you want to take notes, here's the first thing that the persecuted have said. This is a sentence. They said, we joyfully accept the plundering of our property. Write that down. We joyfully accept the plundering of our property. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, the writer to the Hebrews, to the Hebrew Christians, says, you joyfully Accepted the plundering of your property. Just think about that for a second. Christians who are being persecuted joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. They were in their house, and a group of people broke down the door and decided, because of what they believed, that they could steal their property, break down your door, beat you up and incapacitate you, tie you up or threaten you with violence so that you have to remain still. There's more of them than you can handle, and they have the authorities with them. They take your stuff, and they leave. They joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. What does that do in you? they joyfully accepted the plundering of their property. What would possess someone to respond that way? I said at the beginning that persecution shows what's really real. This persecution showed that for these Christians life was so much more than their property reality was so much more than the stuff that they owned do you follow that? what's important to you? what if you lost cause you to be undone How far away are you from being able to joyfully accept the plundering of your property? There's an interesting example of this. Um, it's, a little, it's, it's related. Um, but it's Tim Tebow. I don't know how many of you have been reading about him but he finally got his shot this last year in the NFL and the most polarizing athlete that I think I have ever seen. I mean, maybe Jackie Robinson you know, would have been more polarizing for a totally different reason, but Tim Tebow had you know, played in the NFL and there was more controversy around him and his ability and his performance than anything else, right? And so I read this article about him. It says this. It says every week... Tim Tebow picks out someone who is suffering or who is dying or who is injured. And he flies these people and their families to the Broncos game. He rents them a car. He puts them up in a nice hotel. He buys them dinner, usually at Dave & Buster's. Gets them them and their families pregame passes. Visits with them just before kickoff. Gets them 30-yard line tickets down low visits with them after the game, sometimes for an hour, has them walk to his car, and sends them off with baskets of gifts. Whether they're at home or on the road, whether they win or lose, whether Tim is the hero or the goat of the game, and he's been both. It goes on. Remember last week when the world was pulling out its hair, Um, in the hour after Tebow had stunned the Pittsburgh Steelers with an 80-yard overtime touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas in the playoffs? Do you remember when Twitter was exploding with 9,420 tweets about Tebow per second? When an ESPN poll was naming him the most popular athlete in America? During that time, Tebow was spending that hour talking to 16-year-old Bailey Knob about her 73 surgeries so far and what TV shows she likes. Her mom says this. Here he had just played the game of his life, and the first thing he does after his press conference is come find Bailey and ask, hey, did you get anything to eat? He acted like what he'd just done wasn't anything. Like, it was all about... My daughter. Article continues. This whole thing makes no football sense. Of course. Most NFL players hardly talk to teammates before a game, much less visit with the sick and dying. Isn't that a huge distraction? And then Tim speaks. Just the opposite, he says. It's by far the best thing I do to get myself ready. He says, here you are, about to play a game that the world says is the most important thing in the world. Win and they praise you. Lose and they crush you. And here I have a chance to talk to the coolest, most courageous people. It puts it all into perspective. The game doesn't really matter. I mean, I'll give 100% of my heart to win it, but in the end, the thing I want to do most is not win championships or make a lot of money. It's to invest in people's lives and to make a difference. I'm not sure. Like for In our country, the kind of persecution that Tim Tebow has experienced from the press and from the media from sports talk. Um, It's really amazing because even when he loses, it's exactly the same thing. Win or lose, this is how it works. When he loses, he's crucified. He's persecuted by, by the announcers. He's reviled and insulted. But his response shows that for him, it's not winning or losing. God is what is important to him. God is what is really real. It's not fame. It's not success. It's not football. God is more real than anything else. What's important for you? What's really real for you? I think it's good for us to read stories like this because often for us, what's plundered is not our goods. It's not our property that gets plundered so much as our reputation can be plundered because of Jesus. Where people will think that everything that's bad about anybody who's ever followed Jesus must be true about you. Right? So our reputation gets plundered. Um, People might plunder your career by not giving you an advance, by not allowing you to, to get a promotion uh, people might plunder your relationships by cutting you off or not respecting you. That seems to be to be the more common form of persecution. I mean, in our country, there are parts of the world where there are still people who are like Pastor Yosef in, in Iran, who is awaiting a death sentence because he refuses to recant of his Christianity. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. All over the world, there are um, people that are suffering. Um, and being beaten, tortured, and even killed for Christianity. But I don't want to minimize the reality of what we experience. Because the fact is that for so many of us, we're afraid to speak up about Jesus. We're afraid of offending people. We're afraid when... And and people will revile us. I mean, the media does a, a a really good job of painting Christianity as intolerant, as judgmental, as simplistic, as stupid. There's lots of of, of things that, that cause sort of a general persecution that causes us to just sort of close off. And if you're afraid, you need to hear Jesus say that if you are persecuted, I will bless you in that circle of uncertainty where you don't know if you want to step into that place and speak up or stand out. You need to know that along with the persecution or the intolerance, whatever you're afraid might happen to you, in that circle lies the blessing of Jesus. He is standing there already. And he's, he's, he's looking at you and he's saying, Hey, come. Come stand with me. When you get that sense, when when you realize what's really important in your life, is anything more important than Jesus? When you get to that place where you realize that no, nothing is more important, at that place, you begin to approach Being able to joyfully accept the plundering of your goods. The second thing that people who are persecuted say is this they say, We rejoice that we are worthy to suffer for Jesus. we rejoice that we are worthy to suffer for Jesus. They say this in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 and 41. The religious leaders apprehended, arrested the apostles, and when they called them in, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they were preaching about Jesus. The religious leaders said, uh-uh, no. They grab them, They haul them in. They do some sort of a mock trial. They pronounce judgment on them. They realize, okay, it's not wise for us to do anything more than to beat them at this point. But they beat them. Cain's Rods. I mean, they suffered a beat. This isn't like, you know, five lashes that you give to your kid on the rear end. I mean, this is, they beat them. They tortured them because of what they were doing. And then let them go, saying, you better not or it's going to get worse. And how did they respond? Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. They said, we rejoice that we were counted worthy to suffer for Jesus' sake. Have you ever done that? This is one of the reasons why I love the Bible so much, is because I would never even think to do that if God didn't reveal that this was their reaction, if God didn't encourage me because... I know that what they have that empowered them to do that is in me. I also know that what they were facing in terms of persecution was so much bigger than what I have to face. But friends, when you are persecuted, when someone thinks less of you because you're a Christian, when someone calls you judgmental or says you're intolerant, you can rejoice because at that moment, Jesus has counted you worthy to suffer for his name. The Bible says that no temptation has overtaken you except what you are able to bear. God is faithful. He will never cause you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. The invitation here. Is that when you suffer, when you are persecuted because you're following Jesus? Jesus says, You're worthy to suffer for me. You're worthy to bear my name. These folks were honored. They were honored that their lives could show what's really real they felt honored because what was happening was they were being beaten and threatened and so what was happening for them they had this recollect they had this realization that okay if we're going to keep following Jesus and we're going to keep telling people about Jesus here's the price that we're going to have to pay and they said you know what it's worth it what's the price that you're called to pay Think about it. The people in your life that are not, that don't want to hear about Jesus, the people in your life, and I'm not saying be obnoxious. I'm saying be honest. What's the price for you to stand up for Jesus? There are some of you where that price is incredibly high. I know that some of you are experiencing persecution like this, where your family will completely ostracize you if they found out you were a Christian. Where you've been threatened. Whatever the cost is, you need to quantify that. Just just have a sense of this is what it's going to cost for me to be honest about Jesus in my life. And then ask yourself, is he worth it? These folks knew that by suffering, by by continuing to do this and then enduring the cost by paying this price, that what they were doing is they were saying, you know what, this is bad, but Jesus is this good. By their life, they had the privilege of testifying to anybody that knew that Jesus is so much more important. He is worth so much more than this kind of suffering. By your life, you have the privilege. You have the privilege of showing just how worthy God is to be followed. Your life, when you begin to pay price and that price gets higher and higher and higher, you show that God is worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. worthy. wonder why why persecution happens i mean in some ways i mean the first seven beatitudes it's like well who's going to get mad at these folks right they're poor in spirit they're just admitting that they're weak and they need help they're humble um, they, they're, they're sad over their sin uh, they're hungering for god and for his ways who's going to get mad at that they're pure in heart i mean we might not want to hang out with them you know, they might want to go drinking with us. Or they might not be able to do what we want to do in front of them, but we're not going to get mad at them. And they're merciful. They show merciful love. Like, who's going to get mad at these people? Right? You ever wonder about that? Like, why is it that persecution happens? John Piper said this He said there's two reasons why persecution happens. First, because people love something that's evil. And people, second, people need to justify that love. So they love something that they shouldn't. They love something that's evil, and they need to justify that love. Now, I want to address the question, well, so what if I'm not experiencing persecution? Right? Because maybe you don't feel like you are. If you're not experiencing persecution at all in your life, and you're kind of wondering, well, so does this leave me out? Am I really a Christian if I'm not experiencing persecution? Well, again, John Piper was really helpful on this. He said this. Why don't I experience, um, experience persecution? He said, well, one reason could be that your light is under a bushel. That you're hiding your faith. Um, you're keeping the cross well concealed. You don't speak up or let your faith show. That's one reason you may not be experiencing persecution. The second reason that he gives for why people don't experience persecution, I thought this was really, really helpful. He said, it's because the people around you are moving toward one of two poles, and they're not there yet. That when your Christian life comes to people, they begin to react to it. And remember what I said before about the two ways people respond? Either they convert and become Christians, or they reject and they begin to persecute. John Piper says, if you're not experiencing persecution, it may be that the people in your life haven't quite decided yet which pole they're going to move to. Okay, Maybe they're getting close to actually accepting Jesus, or maybe they're close to beginning to insult you and to revile you and to hate you for the sake of Jesus. I thought that was helpful. Um, He says, in fact, many people are actually torn inside themselves, partly hating the claims of Christianity in your life and partly attracted by them. And so what we want to do is we we need to pray. We need to go to the Lord. We need to talk in our community groups and with each other We need to think through are we just being a kind of cowardly, incognito Christian? And if so, we need to repent. We need to go back to the beginning and say, Jesus, in this area of living for you and showing my faith in you, I am poor in spirit. And I'm sad about that. Jesus, this is not how I want to live, it's not how I should live. So I'm humbling myself, and I need you to teach me, to be bold. I'm hungering and thirsting, Lord, for your righteousness. My heart's desire is to show merciful love, but to be pure in heart so that I can be a witness and a testimony for you. Lord Jesus, I want people, I want to make peace in the world. I want to be a peacemaker so that people... And I'm not ashamed to say that people need to find peace with you. So that's the joy of the Beatitudes. If you're in the eighth day and you're struggling, you can go back to day one and God will recreate in you all over again. All over again. And so persecution shows that Jesus is more real than comfort. Jesus is more real than suffering. He's worth more than those things. Can you say, are you willing to try to say, I will rejoice that I was counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake? The last thing That the persecuted say is this. They say, We consider that the sufferings of this present time can't be compared with the glory that is to come. The persecuted say, We consider that the sufferings of this present time can't be compared to the glory that is to come. This is Romans eight eighteen, And there, Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. They're not even worth comparing Right? So you get out your scales. Okay? You get out your scales. You know, the the scales of justice, right? You got your two trays. And Paul says, Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pile all of the sufferings that I've ever experienced over here. I'm going to pile all of the sufferings of the brokenness of this life. My persecution, my struggles, my frustration, everything that I've dealt with. And for Paul... That's saying something. Paul was beaten 40 times minus 1, five times. Okay, so that's 39 times 5, which is 198. I mean, they turned his back into jelly. Okay, he was whipped and scourged, he was stoned. You know what that means? They took bricks and hurled them at Paul until he crumpled into a lifeless heap. Paul was shipwrecked. He spent an entire night in the sea. Paul had been ridiculed and maligned and called every name in the book. Every action that Paul ever did, somebody took it and said he's the worst person on earth because they painted it in the worst possible light. And this just scratches the surface. Paul says, like, and that's not even anything uh, because then, on top of all of that, I've got the ongoing stress and anxiety over the health of the churches. And if you know anybody in a church... Think about what your friends go through. Paul was desperately, with all of his might, trying to see that the church would thrive. And so he had that weight upon his shoulders. And so, Paul says, all of this suffering, put it over here, and it's like, clunk. Right? And the scale's over there. You know, scale's up. Paul says, you take all of that suffering. All of that suffering. And over here, You put the glory that is to be revealed. And the second, I mean, you need the Lord himself to put that over here because you can't even lift it, right? The glory that is to be revealed. You get it over here and it's like... It breaks through the stage, through the ground, through the concrete, and it's down there. These sufferings, when you come back over, they're not even up here. Because they got launched. You can't even find them.
1: They're not worth comparing.
0: You hear that? The sufferings of this present life are not
1: even worth comparing to the glories that will be revealed in us. Friends, that's what the persecuted say. That's what the persecuted say. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are overwhelmed. I pray that you would help us to think about this. That
0: you would stir in our hearts and bring about a response. Lord, I believe that the sufferings of this life can't even be compared. They're not worth comparing. And yet, Lord, when the
1: suffering happens, I don't know why, but I just forget. Lord, thank you for the testimony from people who have experienced persecution. Lord, for so many of us, we just we need to tell you that we're sorry
0: that we are when it comes to responding to persecution, um, that we're empty or we're not doing it right. We're not, we're, we're running from persecution. We're afraid of it. We
1: act like what people think is more important than what you think. Lord, thank you that on that mountain, on that day so long
0: ago when you said this to your disciples, that there was someone in that group named Peter. Peter heard what you said, and he failed. He failed miserably, and he ran from persecution. He was so afraid
1: of what people thought. And when his heart cut him to the quick, he just wept bitterly.
0: Because he was ashamed of you. He was unwilling to stand with you. As you went to be
1: crucified for him, he wouldn't even acknowledge that he knew you. Lord, it feels like that's it feels like that's us so often. Yet you sought him out. You didn't rebuke him,
0: but you went and died for him. And then after you rose from the dead, you sought him out. And you looked him in the eye and you just said, Simon Peter, do you love me? Lord, that's what we need. And I pray that you would look at each person here and that they would see you looking at them. And every time they've failed, Lord, help them to hear you say, do you love me? Lord, give them a chance to say, Lord, you know that I do. I'm sorry when I act like I don't,
1: but I do. Lord, we need your grace. We can't do this. We've all failed at this.
0: As high and mighty as we feel and inspired as we
1: feel on Sunday, Lord, Monday's coming. And we pray, God, that you would help us.
0: That you would stay close to us and that we would stay close to you. draw us near and just keep us reminded that the sufferings of this time
1: are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And we pray this, Lord, not because we've been good, but we pray this in the name of Jesus because he was
0: the one who was willing to endure persecution all the way to the end without
1: compromise. And we pray in his name. Amen.